welcome to the Faith, Health, and Home Digital Podcast. I am your host, Makeba Giles. Here we share information and resources for physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being to help families live an inspired lifestyle and encourage healthy living. Thank you for joining us. For Dr. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings, widow of the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, is continuing her late husband's legacy by unveiling a new plan for COVID-19 in the 21st century that will address health disparities and promote justice for all. Dr. Cummings is the former chair of the Maryland Democratic Party in the United States and author of the forthcoming book, Rageism, Rage, Race, Age, Gender, Exclusion, and the Politics of Health Equity, scheduled for release in 2021. Joining me right now is the one and only Dr. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings. Thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Ms. Girl. Now, first, I want to give you my sincere condolences to you on the passing of your husband, Elijah Cummings. Please know that you and your family are in my continued prayers. Now, you were married to him for over two decades. Um, during that time, what did he share with you in terms of what he had seen in the progress of health care equity in our nation? Well, Eliza, uh, like I was, uh, was a staunch health care advocate. Um, he was very um, supportive of passing the Affordable Care Act, um, so he was on the front lines of that battle. Uh, he was also, he firmly believed uh, that um, people across this nation, not just African Americans and Latinos, but people of all different backgrounds were disadvantaged because pharmaceutical companies were taking advantage uh, of, 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 of customers in the United States and overcharging, uh, which created, uh, you know, basically sickness and poor health and early death because people can't afford prescription drug medications that are expensive. Uh, and so he was a staunch fighter for affordable prescription drugs and did a lot uh, to really kind of drive that message home. So much so that when he passed, uh, the U.S. Congress passed a bill, uh, or the House side did, uh, calling it uh, the Elijah E. Cummings Lower Prescription Drug Cost Now Bill. Absolutely. And now I'm going to pose that same question to you, um, as you have also worked on the front lines for many years, championing for health care rights and human rights as well. Um, share with us what you've seen on the front lines and um, your personal ex experience with cancer treatment and how that, along with everything else, um, where you feel America needs to go from here in order to see changes in our health care system that benefit everyone. So for a decade, I actually worked as the director of leadership for healthy communities. It was a national program of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation focused on mobilizing state and local elected officials to pass policies supportive of healthy eating, active living, and childhood obesity prevention. So most people think about childhood obesity and think about Michelle Obama, and this was uh, an initiative that I was working on uh, since 2006. Uh, and so, you know, we were able to really move legislation and policies that focus on um, safer communities so kids could uh, work and uh, play in uh, safety and parks, uh, as well as making sure that school meals are more nutritious and, you know, that we um, tamp down, you know, the, the number of junk food marketers that we're um, advertising to our kids. So I did that uh, for a decade, uh, and of course I've been active in terms of focusing on health disparities. I um, led an initiative on 
educating the African-American community about type 2 diabetes when I was at the uh, National Urban League. Uh, so I've been actually quite active on health issues uh, in addition to, of course, advocating for the Affordable Care Act when it was passed. So now, you know, uh, we've got more work to do. Indeed, we do. Now, your new plan calls for a new America where people come first and a Congress that passes laws to benefit the majority of Americans, not just the largest donors and wealthiest Americans. Now, tell us, um, you gave us a little background about everything you've done so far, but tell us um, personally why health and health-related issues are so very close to your heart. Yeah, so... Um so we need a basically a bold new deal for COVID-19, uh, and that bold new deal is three parts. Um, you know, because we had, as African Americans, had pre-existing health conditions, um, that meant that we were less able um, to fight off the coronavirus when it arrived on our shores. Uh, and so with that, we're seeing, you know, just disproportionate deaths and unnecessary deaths all across the country uh, of people uh, of all backgrounds, but especially those who um, have had pre-existing conditions and other vulnerabilities. Uh, and that translates in many cases into uh, disproportionate cases amongst black and brown communities, amongst low-income communities, amongst frontline workers. Um, and so, you know, we need a national response, and that response is in three parts. First is a strong public health response. Uh, where we have universal national testing uh, that is targeted towards communities that are vulnerable, uh, where we are doing contact tracing and we are um, isolating people as necessary, uh, where we're providing uh, the personal protective equipment to those who need it on the front lines. We still have a challenge with that across America. Uh, the second part is access to health care. We need immediate access to health care, no waiting a couple of years. We need to make sure that anybody that doesn't have access either gets into Medicaid uh, or is allowed into the Medicare program. And then over the long haul, we need to make sure that we have a truly universal health care system. We don't have that now, even with the Affordable Care Act. And then the third part of this is economic security. Uh, the nation needs an economic stimulus, and I call for a national infrastructure plan to drive that stimulus. We've got decaying roads, bridges, pipes all across this country, and, and there are people who can participate in the rebuilding of that. And so along with that, we need a jobs program. And we need to make sure that we have income uh, and housing and food security for people. So uh, this is a three-part plan, a bold new deal for COVID-19. Uh, it's something that Congress can move on, uh, and I certainly hope that the Congress will consider this moving forward. Absolutely. And in terms of my personal, and you asked me about my personal, you know, I'm African-American, and certainly I look around my family and friends, and I see a whole network of people that are suffering disproportionately from health disparities like overweight and obesity, type 2 diabetes, and unfortunately cancer. My mother um, died of cancer uh, prematurely. She was uh, 69 uh, six years ago, um, and, you know, she had stage 4 inflammatory breast cancer. Uh, and then you know, a couple of years later, my sister uh, was diagnosed with it. Uh, and so once my sister became diagnosed with it, I decided to go ahead and have a preventative double mastectomy, meaning that I did not have cancer, but I decided that because the, the strain was so strong in my family uh, that I wanted to prevent it before it started. So I went ahead and got a preventative double mastectomy, uh, and I'm currently, of course, uh, thinking through my reconstruction options. So that is my personal story. Mm -hmm. 
that thank you so much for sharing your personal experience with us, your journey. And we're going to dive um, deeper into your three-part plan in just a second. But before we do that, just want to get your um, thoughts on something. We know that earlier this month, Trump administration reversed the Obama-era health protections that prohibited discrimination in health care based on gender identity. Now, as you said before, we know that no one should be without affordable, comprehensive, or high-quality health care or mental health support, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic and everything else that's happening in our society right now. Now, um, tell us what are your personal thoughts on that reversal and what can we do as a people to help change this to get those much-needed protections back into place? So Trump is, uh, as you well know, the most divisive president of our lifetimes, uh, and he has often trafficked in discrimination, uh, whether that be towards people of color, uh, towards trans, uh, transgender people, um, people who might not identify with a gender, uh, towards those who might have a different sexual preference and heterosex- uh, heterosexual preferences. Uh, and so in Muslims, and you name it, you just go down the line, he is, you know, bigoted. Um, and so at the beginning of Pride Month, uh, he decides he's going to reverse protections, allow people, allow healthcare systems to discriminate against transgendered individuals uh, as a formal policy of the United States of America, uh, which is just insane um, that he would allow human beings to be discriminated against. Um, fortunately, I mean, I think that you know the the Supreme Court came a couple of days later with a decision that protects transgendered individuals and those who have, um, uh, you know, different sexual preferences, LGBTQIA populations, um, the Supreme Court came down with a decision to protect them. Um, And so while it is formatively in the workplace, that actually extends to all workplaces, including healthcare settings. Uh, So I'm thinking that uh, the Supreme Court decision actually helped to offset the, uh, the Trump administration's decision, which is a good thing. And hopefully that will stay in place even after um, his presidency is long over. Now, um, your plan, as you said, calls for a strong public health policy in the form of that federal course of action, similar to national plans we've seen in other countries. Um, Right now in America, COVID seems to be a pass-the-buck type situation where we're seeing the federal government passing responsibility to state, state to city, cities to individual jurisdictions, and so on. Um, No one's really on the same page right now in terms of of policies and procedures. So um, tell us why this is dangerous for American people, and what is your um, specific recommendations in your plan to create a stronger national public health policy where everyone can be on the same page when it comes to fighting COVID-19? So, you know, basically the Trump administration, by refusing to lead, has balkanized America and created a more dangerous situation where we are losing lives unnecessarily because there is no national uh, plan uh, for tackling this, which creates a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of, you know, cooks in the in the kitchen uh, with different programs, different plans, different strategies. You go to one state, there are masks required, and another state and not masks required, you know, and everything in between. Um, and so, you know, this is creating um, an unfortunate situation. We're in a pandemic. That means that anybody with the disease can pass it on to anybody else. Um, 
uh, you know, and so with that, you know, we need a national strategy, not a, um, uh, a local strategy. Uh, and so um, fortunately, Donald Trump is not capable of doing that uh, for whatever reason. So that means that Congress needs to step up. Uh, Congress needs to call the best minds and the CDC and the World Health Organization, et cetera, together, come up with a uh, policy plan uh, that will um, be mandated for the country, uh, pass it, and then uh, get it signed into law, uh, and then make that recommendation as a national strategy for all the states to follow. Um, and so with that, you know, um, as I mentioned, uh, it's a three-part plan. It's not just public health, but it's also economic in scope. Um, so public health, health care, and economics. And that is what's needed. Indeed, it is. Now, we've seen all sorts of information come out. It's changing daily. But um, as a result of that and the resurgence of COVID-19, we're seeing quite a few states and local leaders rolling back their reopening plans um, to do this. And many people have said that they believe that this reopening happened way too soon. Um, tell us what your vision is and what your plan looks like for a safe reopening for the U.S. economy, for the resumption of normal life. Because as you stated in your plan, part of that is um, economical as well. So what would you, what do you see as a safe opening for us so that way we can get on the right track? So I do think we need a national standard for, um, first of all, what kinds of protective gear people need to be wearing in public. Uh, secondly, we need a national standard for the stages. I do think that the phase concept that states have come up with in terms of, uh, you know, first we'll do essential work, um, then we'll do, you know, certain kinds of venues, and then we'll do, you know, other kinds of venues. I mean, that makes sense, but it happened way too quickly. Uh, we hadn't, as a nation, we hadn't even gotten a handle on containing the coronavirus before, you know, Trump and then the Republican governors and then everybody else followed uh, Trump's lead of saying, let's reopen the economy. And that is because they put the economy above people's lives. Uh, and frankly, you know, I mean, I, there are too many people I know who were being devastated by this disease and then start to turn around and find out that political leadership was saying that now it's okay to go outside. Uh, was, um, you know, devastating for many, uh, and many didn't follow that advice. Many people continue to quarantine inside their houses uh, or limiting uh, their social distancing uh, practices. Um, so with that, you know, they, as we well know, now we're seeing the states roll back and say we were wrong uh, for actually becoming too liberal too soon. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that we're going to have to go back to the social distancing policies that we um, actually experienced and march through, uh, you know, May. Um, and so with that, you know, I would just say that, you know, the phase-in strategy is the right strategy, but only if we're doing it consistently across the country. And then we're, and then we're rolling back in a consistent fashion. Absolutely. Now, we talked about essential workers a little earlier. Um, there have been many pushbacks on local government levels regarding hazard pay, affordable access to high-quality health care and mental health services, um, PPE, and um, just other resources that essential workers need. Now, um, what are your thoughts on that and your plan and approach to guarantee that all essential workers have everything they need during this pandemic and even beyond? Because I completely agree. Yeah, because according to new reports, 
Um, today, it seems, in China, there is a new form of virus that's recently emerged that has the potential of making its way to the U.S. similar to um, how COVID did. So um, tell us what is your plan that this new deal that you have for that to safeguard essential workers? So it's actually, it's twofold. I mentioned the PPE. It's mandating uh, PPE for essential workers now. I should say in this new bill that Congress is considering, they're already talking about um, uh, uh, basically compens uh, compensation pay for essential workers. I'm supportive of that. Uh, I think it's going to get passed and certainly, um, you know, it's something that hazard pay is important, um, particularly for those on the front lines who are putting their lives and their families' lives on the line, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, the second part of my plan addresses the long-term strategy that we need. By the way, you know, a new coronavirus hitting through China is not going to be a surprise um, because uh, you should know uh, that climatologists say with the changing weather of the planet, the planet the patterns of the planet because of uh, climate change, uh, that we should expect new and novel diseases um, to come more frequently uh, in, uh, in the future. That means that we can't afford to have anybody walking around without health care. Uh, we can't afford not to be prepared with the adequate amount of PPE that we need. We can't afford any of this. That means that everybody who's thinking that we can, that this is the same old, same old, that we can continue to have uh, basically a half-measure uh, public health system and a, a substandard uh, health care system. Uh, is absolutely wrong. This is the time where we need to actually be laser focused on building a national health plan that is universal in scope and that covers everybody. And when I say everybody, I don't mean just citizens because we don't just have citizens living amongst us. It could be an immigrant who has coronavirus who's preparing your food in the back of the kitchen and you end up with coronavirus. Uh, and, and this person doesn't didn't seek help because, first of all, he didn't have or she didn't have uh, you know, uh, pay time off for sick leave. Uh, and then secondly, they didn't have access to health care. That endangers everybody in a society where people are living closely together and where we're uh, basically codependent. Uh, so, you know, we need to be focused on building a truly universal health care system as a part of our strategy for dealing with these uh, exceptional viruses in the future. Yes, I'm glad that you addressed that because I think one of the things that goes untalked about or the, the elephant in the room is that when essential workers have so much on their mind, um, that's affecting their mental health as well. And then they may have other people in their household whose jobs were affected as a part of COVID-19, um, which impacts that economic safety net that is part of your, um, your three-part strategy plan. So I love your plan because everything is all tied in together. Um, we have to include everyone. So in terms of the economic um, safety net, that's part of your plan, and also um, funding for housing security and job training also ties within it as well. Um, give us a little more detail about those two parts. Right. So, um, so first of all, let me just go back to mental health. I, I did not mention it. When I talk about health care, I'm talking about an expanded system that actually includes mental health as on par. And mental health is not just affecting, I think, um, those on the front lines. It's also affecting, yes, you're absolutely right, those who have become unemployed, but also those who are social distancing, who have isolated themselves, and they're just, you know, going stir-crazy uh, with, you know, 
themselves or with their family members, uh, you know, uh, hold up in their houses. Uh, and so, you know, we absolutely have to consider mental health a part of an adequate and uh, sufficient uh, national health plan. Um, the second part on the economic side, um, you know, I've been a long-time social security expert and advocate um, and social insurance expert and advocate. And as you know, well know, social security and unemployment insurance is a part of our social safety net here in the United States. So far, our unemployment system has um, not held up well. <laughs> uh, you know, we have situations in states across the country where people have been waiting weeks to get compensated for their unemployment. And in that time, they haven't been able to pay bills. They haven't been able to pay them their, um, their rent. Uh, they haven't been able to, you know, meet their basic needs. And as a result, you know, we've seen a whole, I give a lot of, I work at my church um, to give away free food baskets. And, you know, there are people all across this country who for the first time in their lives are lining up in food lines uh, to try to get assistance. Um, certainly we need to continue with that food guarantee, but we need to expand uh, certainly, um, uh, you know, food, food assistance uh, programs in this country. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, our unemployment system is working better. Unfortunately, uh, the way it's working is state by state. Uh, we need to actually standardize some of this stuff. Uh, certainly the federal government is providing a backstop to the state in terms of funding uh, their um, unemployment systems, but we need to actually have better guarantees for timeliness of payments, et cetera. Uh, and then, of course, I call for um, a guaranteed jobs program. So this is not a new idea. It's something that was put forward uh, in the, um, uh, in the, during the um, Great Depression uh, by FDR. It was a way to put money in the pockets. It was a way to guarantee every person in America who wanted to work a job um, so that they could have income. We need to revive that concept. Anybody who wants a job should be able to get one. And there should be all kinds of work happening across this country, infrastructure, technology, you name it. Uh, and so with that, you know, we do need, I think, a guaranteed federal jobs program as a part of this, uh, of this effort, uh, in addition to uh, the infrastructure initiative I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree indeed. Now, lastly, Dr. Cummings, um, what advice for those people who are out there dealing with everything that we just talked about, um, or even some of the things we just talked about, um, they're trying to figure out where their next meal is coming from or how they're going to get that quality health care for their child or um, their spouse who's an essential worker, um, you know, what type of safeguards they have in place. How can they uh, protect their, their families from COVID? Everything that we've discussed, um, what advice or a course of action would you like to give to everyone in America about protecting themselves and their family against COVID, but also advocating um, for better health care and wellness protections from themselves, and especially for their family members that are essential workers. Um, what would you like to tell them as to what they can do to be the change that they want to see in our nation? Well, on the public health side, everybody should be wearing a mask. There's no reason why you should step outside without a mask. Um, I would prefer that everybody wear gloves, too, but you also got to make sure that you're washing your hands safely. Um, so, you know, hygiene is incredibly important. And so the things that we were practicing at the beginning of this back in March and April are things that we should continue. 
sterilizing, you know, surf surfaces, uh, making sure that, um, you know, we're being very hypervigilant uh, about um, coming into contact with people. And if we have to come into contact people with people, making sure that we're staying an appropriate distance from people uh, so that we're not transmitting or receiving anything. Um, on the opposite, or the, on the second part of your question, um, I am continually amazed uh, when I meet people who say that politics is not for them, that there is nothing that politics can do for them, when they don't realize that almost every aspect of their lives is determined by politics. Uh, and this is, I mean, I think this is illustrated so perfectly by this coronavirus epidemic. Um, you know, we need uh, better protective, personal protective equipment. Uh, we need uh, better health care. Uh, we need to make sure that, you know, our landlords can't just throw us out because of the coronavirus and our inability to meet the, the needs. We need to make sure that, uh, that, you know, our unemployment checks are reaching us on time. And the only way you get to any and all of that uh, is by making demands of the policymakers you elect, because those are the decision makers on all of these factors. Uh, they are the decision makers. And that means that, you know, if you've never written or called your congressman or woman or your state legislator or your city council member or your county council member, this is the time. If you're mad that something isn't happening for you, don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. You, you got rights. So you hired these people by electing them, uh, and they're getting paid to represent you. So you need to reach out and say, look, it's been seven weeks, and I have not received my unemployment check. Contact your state legislator and say, you're supposed to be representing me. Find out where my check is and make them work for you. Uh, same thing on the national level. You know, it's unacceptable that my, my you know, that I don't have health care, my sister doesn't have health care. You know, contact your federal policymaker and say it's time for a national health plan uh, that's universal in scope. I mean, it's, it's, politics is a dirty business, and especially when you're looking at um, how they talk about people on television, but it is also a service, meaning that these politicians have to make sure your trash is delivered on time and picked up on time. They have to make sure that these roads and bridges are safe and are working. They have to make sure that these pipes underneath our cities and towns are working, and they have to make sure that you are serviced in terms of programs that are important for your family's economic and health well-being. Uh, this is the time to make sure that you are calling them, contacting them, and impacting them. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for being a voice and um, being a leader in this time because this is definitely needed and your plan is definitely needed as well. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing to progress us forward as a nation. And I want to let everyone know to be on the lookout for Dr. Cummings' forthcoming book, Rageism, Race, Age, Gender, Exclusion, and the Politics of Health Equity. It will be released in 2021, and it will be available everywhere. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And uh, also be sure to connect with Dr. Cummings as well um, online. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Cummings. It's been a pleasure. I wish you the best of success in everything, and you also have my continued prayers as well. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Faith, Health, and Home Digital Podcast. 
For transcripts of this episode and others, visit our website at faithhealthandhome.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Thank you again for joining us.